Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. One of the cool things about doing this show is as we are giving you all content, we are also learning. We are examining our existing models, concepts, language, way of talking about things, and coming up with new information, new learning, better ways of articulating ADHD. And so that's what today's episode is going to be about. In many previous episodes, we've discussed the planner and the doer as a way to describe either the person, the planner that gets stuck in the planning, in the idea generation, in the creative without action place, and the doer being that person that either gets stuck in reactive mode, just firefighting, 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 or who comes up with something and hits the ground running, sort of that ask for forgiveness, not permission person. And Cam realized a couple of weeks ago that that language wasn't as precise as he would like it to be. And he came up with something better. So Cam, I'm going to kick it over to you to introduce this more precise way of talking about these two modes of operation as ADHD people that we so often refer to in our episodes. And I like modes of operation because we've used the, the analogy of a gearbox before. And I think that's one of the, these sort of fundamental ADHD challenges is, you know, you drive a car, which is an automatic, most of us now. The manual has gone away and there's a few cars out there with it. But again, it's still like a five-speed. And back in the day when we had a clutch and we had a stick, it was like being able to do that clutch work, to be able to take the stick shift and go from neutral and put it in first and then kind of lurch forward. And the way that I learned is, again, my dad taught me was on a downward slope to figure out that clutch. So that's, that's part of this sort of this breakdown that we talked about in the past about the planner and the doer. And it's that the person who's sort of stuck in neutral and really has a hard time with activating for task. The other way that we see this is fifth gear. It's the, we are high flyers, meteor man is a term that I've used in the past. It's just like, we light that rocket and go. So that's sort of the thing. We don't have a reliable second third gear around this clutch work. And when we think about an anatomy of a task, tasks have these little micro pivots when we have to consider, make a decision, confer with someone, pause, shift gears, go in a different direction. That that clutch work or that second gear, third gear work is very helpful. And when you're stuck in neutral or stuck in fifth gear, it's really hard to navigate tasks or projects. So yeah, as we were talking, planner and doer weren't, weren't really working for me. It wasn't, wasn't really working for us. And we've been talking about kind of big brain, fast brain. And so I think we're going to settle on that, folks. That the planner is big brain, this big thinking. We've talked about how people with ADHD are wired for context. I have a term, global creative. That is my blog. So that's been there for a long time. This big thinking, which is... As Shelly was saying earlier, we can kind of get into planning, but stuck there because we don't have this ability or we haven't found the mechanism for activating for task. It's that we talked about two weeks ago, we have the, the, the parts, but we have to assemble those parts to get into activation. 
Pam, I would say even more than just struggling to activate for task, my big brain clients identify with your big idea generator. So it's about making commitments first rather than following the next big idea, following what has their attention in that moment. So for big brainers, that interest-based attention system can really mess us up because that's Cam's big idea generator. That's following. I have another client who says, my ideas are like beautiful butterflies. They fly away. So just one after the other after the other, and she feels like she can't hold on to any of them. Right. And so the idea of big brain, fast brain, and that breakdown is that typically people will fall into one category group or the other. And as Shelly was reminding us last week is the combined type. There's the combined type of ADHD. And and it's like that having the big brain experience and the fast brain, not at the same time. And so we're going to dig into that combined type too. So again, the planner, we're replacing that with big brain and the doer replacing that with fast brain. Again, this is not new stuff. Peter Shankman wrote a book around the, the fast brain experience. It's a bestseller. And if you're a fast brainer, then check that out. But we want to use this more precise language because we don't like the language that is out there. The language that's out there is, again, it's this observant type descriptive behavior like inattentive. I wouldn't describe my experience as inattentive. A practitioner who's watching someone with ADHD and inattentive type ADD presents as inattentive. A child who has the hyperactive impulsive version, they're not really necessarily experiencing it as hyperactive. They're maybe feeling impatient, but they're kind of like ready to go and move forward. And so it's this, I think we feel kind of dated. We've had inattentive and hyperactive for years now to kind of like delineate the main categories of ADHD. And so just kind of thinking about, yes, okay, hyperactive, it's a fast brain. From the user's experience, it's very quick. It's very fast. You come up with an idea generator and you got the idea and boom, you go into that action and leave everybody in the dust. Or with the big brain, it's kind of like you go into permutations and possibilities. And as you said, those butterflies, and we're considering, we're pondering with false starts. Ruminating. Big brainers are big time ruminators. Right. So rumination is that big brain experience. So listeners kind of thinking about what is yours? Are you more of a big brain? Are you more of a fast brain? We, I was joking with Shelly and, and, or are you, are you combined like Shelly? I'm a big brain. I'm the inattentive type, I'm the big brain. And so, you know, yes. Can I find that fifth gear? You betcha. You know, if I find something that's, that's really interesting, I'll jam it in there and go and do a deep dive, hyper-focus and get in there. So it, that fifth gear is, is accessible, but I've also developed a couple, you know, second gears to make things happen when I can't access that fifth gear, which is, I think the, the, one of the biggest dilemmas is finding that fifth gear. Even the fast brains is like activating and, and getting going to lock into that hyper-focus can be a challenge for them. They'll go and engage with distractions. 
they'll do fast brain engaging in Q4 stuff. Not important, not urgent. And then it's like they went down a rabbit hole and they're like, gosh, you know, that wasn't part of my plan for the day. Right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about, again, how does it manifest? And then what you can start to do about it. So Shelly, can you say more about your experience of this kind of a hybrid approach or the combined around the the fast brain and, and, and big brain together? I can, Cam. And, you know, it's really interesting because when you decided that you wanted to bring this language to an episode, I've been considering what it means to have both. Because what it doesn't mean is that I have access to whichever one serves me better at that moment. It doesn't mean that at all. And in fact, can frustratingly mean exactly the opposite. Meaning I can be fast braining, getting things done, but often they're not the most important things. See also from a few episodes ago, me scrubbing some wire shelves in a closet when the bigger task at hand of unpacking was really what I was trying to accomplish. So that was me just making a decision and going and doing. And I went for several hours on that project, but it wasn't where my attention was meant to be or where I wanted it to be. You know, it's, I don't know, it's, I can't tell you how I end up in one or the other. It's kind of about my energy or my lack of energy. And I don't necessarily think that that's even entirely physical energy. You know, fast brain feels very fast. It feels very sped up. It feels very excited and stimulated. Whereas big brain is slower, more contemplative, more prone to rumination. I don't know how or when each one shows up for me, but I know that I experience both. And of course, I'm cursed with the dual processor there and the dual processor of being both a contextual and a sequential processor. So (laughs) yeah. the other thing I will say is that it's not better to have access to both, I don't think. It, it's just more to notice and be aware of because noticing when I'm in one or in the other too far is important to doing what I know that I want and need to do. Yeah. So a comment and then a question is that that's so indicative of the ADD experience, I think, for the combined type is that just as you said, it's like you have these both, but it's like you can't really control when you're in one or the other. I would actually challenge you there a little bit. I think, I think that over the years, again, because the question is like learning that, knowing that, how have you been successful utilizing both of those as more as resources than as, say, obstacles? Because I really like what you just said there, Shelly, about you have them. But it's that mechanism of switching is the frustrating part of like, okay, I'd really like fast brain here. And yet here I am in big brain. Okay, where are you, fast brain? (laughs) Yeah, or on the opposite end, the episodes that we did around the time of my divorce, the stepping into who you are and honoring who you are. Those are the two episodes. If you remember, I was in big brain so long that I wanted it to stop. (laughs) 
I was done with big brain. Like it was like, I just want my brain to be quiet, like just rumination and connecting and this constant like spider webbing out, you know, and just thinking, thinking, thinking anytime I'm awake was getting mentally exhausting. So you're right. I can't switch between the two at will, but you're also right in that I've done a lot of my own work as we all have, as is the point of this show. So there are some things that I can do. Number one is to notice where I'm at and adjust the task at hand for where I'm at. So if fast brain has an idea and wants to jump on something and it's something that is important, I'm going to run with that. I'm going to take that energy and I'm going to use it rather than trying to force myself into a creative, slower task that would be better suited for big brain. An example I can give you is a couple of weeks ago, my neighbor was out raking his leaves and it was a nice day. And I thought, ooh, maybe I should do that too. And the next thing I know, I have the rake in my hand and I spent all day, which I had planned to spend inside doing some things for my business, raking leaves. But guess what? The leaves needed to be raked. They are now raked. So that was me harnessing fast brain rather than fighting against it to come inside and probably think about raking the leaves all day while I tried to force myself to do whatever I was going to do inside on my business. Right. That goes back to last week around Keystone Habits and me talking about reflective practice. Mm -hmm. There's a reflective practice there of noticing where you are. What are my resources that are available to me right now? And then adjust to that. And so that's a great practice and that's a great awareness. I want to get into more, again, the how these two are distinguished from each other, and then what our listeners can start to do about it. I want to come back to, again, this, you know, my gripe, my rant is this perspective around naming these from the observer's perspective. It's like, we're looking at this animal in the wild and it's like, there's less there. And yes, on brain scans, there's less activity on the brain scan. But my experience in my head is not less activity. From the outside, it looks like I'm sitting neutral and not doing much. And I might be off thinking about something else. So to the the third party, I am not attending. So attention deficit right there. But it's, again, it's a story that someone else is telling. And it's not really informing my own experience. This is back to lunch counter and these level one symptoms that we come and get. And yes, you know, what you do is you procrastinate. Well, you're hyperactive and you're impulsive. You know, you don't attend. And so you need to attend more. That's some information, but it doesn't give me information that I can really sink my teeth into. There was a woman who was, uh, was doing some work on inattentive ADHD way back, like when it first was kind of distinguished as this thing inattentive. And I tried to go out to, to my friends and find her name because I went to her sessions a couple of times. I just cannot recall her name, but she was a researcher and she made this really important distinction because people were asking about this. She said, you know, it really seems like people who are inattentive or the big brain really doesn't have enough energy, not enough energy to bring together, to move forward, to activate for task. Whereas the hyperactive or the fast brain is really, it's like too much energy. 
so that that was kind of like insight into above the lunch counter right there. It's not about how they present to the observer. It's really their own experience. That as the big brainer, it's about the energy and management, regulation, executive function, regulation, management, not enough energy. So that's my dilemma around starting, activating. And again, this prolific idea generator, I'm chasing these ideas, but not really toggling over into putting that into action. Meanwhile, on the other side, the fast brain has so many ideas and then jumps on goes and has sort of left everyone else in the dust. And so what they want to do is, again, develop a set of brakes. This is Ned Hollowell stuff. Tap and brakes to slow down that brain, to slow down that activity, to sort of consider, okay, where am I and what's next? Cam, I would say my experience mirrors what you just said as far as energy. It certainly does feel like not enough or too much. It feels like I can't activate for task or almost like a compulsion for the task at hand when I'm at fast brain. And I can give you an example of that. And this is something that I did more than once to my poor ex-husband, who was always so kind about it. One day, I was out shopping and I went to a consignment shop because it was next to the grocery store and I had never been in. I just wanted to see what they had. I saw a coffee table. I really liked this coffee table. So I bought the coffee table. We needed a new coffee table anyway. Our old one was pretty wrecked. It was too small for the room. I bring it home. I put it in place. And all of a sudden, I hate the entire rest of the room. So now, <laughs> now I am on Craigslist because I, I love to put things together a little at a time. I love to hunt for the right piece. So now I am on Craigslist. I am on Facebook Marketplace. I am running here, there, and everywhere. And I am dragging my poor husband with me to pick up this piece of furniture and this rug and these chairs. And the end result was awesome. Don't get me wrong. But redecorating the living room was not on anyone's agenda until I bought a coffee table. And then it dominated the next week and a half of our lives. And it got done, but it certainly didn't need to be done. It certainly wasn't the most important thing at the time. That's what fast brain can look like for me, yeah. right? It, yep. And it's like this compulsion where now I've started and now I can't not complete. It's like the opposite of your big brain challenge of failure to complete. It's like I have to complete and I almost can't focus on anything else right. until I get to this completion, even if I know this is not the most important completion. And it's a mode thing. It's a mode about being in activity. And as you said, there's a compulsion around completing. I have to complete this. There's that initial spark with the coffee table. And then it's like, you get an idea and then you're in this mode of doing. So there's that doer, but it's more of a fast brain experience of there's a speed element to it that matters. And this is our concept of time is we're not thinking about doing something over a week's time. There's delayed gratification there. So we will compress this into an afternoon and make that happen. So again, with ADHD, it's getting that diagnosis is important because it really, you know, going through and making sure it's not something else. And sort of that fast brain can present like a manic behavior. And I had a client who was falsely diagnosed with ADHD 
was actually bipolar. And the big difference there was, you know, he went out to buy a watch and he came home with a $90,000 Mercedes Benz. Wow. Yeah. And a, and a big like 24 hour buying spree that was just like off the charts. And then he was there for weeks until he depleted all of their, <laughs> their, all their money. And so that's manic in the manic depressive. This is different. This is where we will go and switch in and then switch back. It looks like it, but it's not. This is again, ADHD at work. Cam, I appreciate you bringing in that distinction. And I actually also had a client who was misdiagnosed with ADHD and was actually bipolar. And you're right. It can look a little manic. It can feel a little manic because adrenaline is high. You know, there's that real compulsion to get the thing done to the exclusion of everything else. But it's not manic in the clinical sense of being manic. And it doesn't feel like a loss of control. If anything, it feels like extreme hyper-focus, you know, just super, super, super locked on. And I can't unlock on, I can't break that lock on until I've finished. Yeah. I love what you just said about this, this compulsion to complete to the detriment of everything else. I think that's a great descriptor of that fast brain experience. Again, as you said that, and this not knowing which or who's going to show up on any given day can, can be a little unnerving. I was joking with you. It's like, I think that, you know, many of our listeners are the big brain presenters and that there are not many fast brains. So if you're a fast brain out there, give us a shout because we want to hear from you. Because I'm, my guess is fast brainers have they, they don't have any patience for us. <laughs> yeah, no, they're listening to Peter Shankman's podcast, right? It's 15 minutes. It's fast. Everybody talks super fast. <laughs> yeah. I was like, come on, get to the pull, you know, get to the point. Like last week here, I'm going on about my Kaki Armani and reflective practice, you know, and I was listening this morning. I was like, dang, we didn't get to like good, <laughs> good examples of Keystone habits till like minute 27. So we really appreciate your patience, folks. But so I want to talk a little bit about the fast brain because I have a number of clients who really are the fast brain. And so, yeah, they do well in kind of reactive type roles and they, they can respond to crises. And so they're kind of cool under pressure. I had a client who was working at the national election level at very fast pace, not knowing what's going to happen in the next week and just being able to respond to that situation. Interestingly, I work with Melissa Orlov, and she is the ADHD relationship specialist. And what's fascinating about the people that come to her is it's a lot of the non-ADHD spouses, typically women, come and they're like dragging that fast brain spouse with them. And they're like, we got to figure this out because I don't understand you. I don't understand this. And that's the, the interesting breakdown that occurs for fast brains is that it's like they're so fast and off to the races and done that they leave people behind. And so there's an opportunity for them to tap the brakes, to articulate their experience, to translate. So many of my clients who are fast brain are leaders, but they come across as callous. 
they come across as insensitive because they're just gone. They're gone and like, why aren't you with me on this? They've already moved on. They're a light year ahead. And they're wondering why the team hasn't followed. So there's about communication. There's about understanding and appreciating. It's amazing when we don't have this information, how assumptions can just derail great ideas. Cam, I've seen that in my fast brain clients too. I think that is possibly the biggest struggle of fast brainers. If it's if the struggle for big brainers is to engage and be engaged and to complete, the struggle for fast brainers is to not leave people behind, to make sure that we are pausing and bringing the people that matter along with us rather than taking off on our own. And Just like you for so long didn't recognize that your fundamental challenge was failing to complete. So many of my fast brain clients, and I'm sure you see this too, don't recognize that their fundamental challenge is leaving people behind. They don't really see what that's doing until we help them start to learn how to hit the brakes a little bit, to slow down, to find gears other than fifth so that people around them can keep up. All right. As we come to the end of our session today, here's a couple of things to think about for whether you're big brain, fast brain, or like Shelly, kind of combined that you enjoy both experiences. So starting with the fast brain, I've talked about one of my clients who sets up this project X time. So like you said, fast brain folks can struggle with leaving people behind. They can also, you know, just classic ADHD is they're in reactive mode. You know, I'm reminded of the movie Finding Nemo and the sea turtle, Crush. Remember Crush? Dude, you know, let's go, dude. And what does he do? They get into that current. I don't remember. It's the Pan Pacific current that they take to Australia. I have a client who every day he's like Crush. He just slips into this jet stream or this current where he's just going and he's gone and nothing happens intentionally necessarily in that current. So what does he do to complement that? He starts his day with project X time. He starts with project X to like, let me get a completion on something that matters over the long haul. So a strategic completion that's building my business, that's steering this ship navigating the bigger charts as opposed to just this day. And so he gets it out of the way first and then slips into the jet stream or that current because that's what's going to happen and he's going to flow. So it's that balancing the jet stream, not denying it, letting that happen, but complementing it with this Project X time in the morning. Oh, and we talked about Keystone Habits last week, Shelly. He took that Project X and right in front of it, he's put a writing little block, 30 minutes of writing. He's writing a book because again, he can do that outside of that jet stream. So he knows the jet stream is something that really is important for him. And it's just the way that he works. But instead of fighting it, he's complementing it with this Project X. For the big brain, I'm going to say, again, I'll use my own examples. I'm a big brain presentation. I struggled with completion. And so what I do every single day, back to that keystone habit of getting the stuff out of my head and coming up with a single folded sheet of paper. Take your piece of paper 
I fold it in half and put it portrait. So it's like a five by eight. And all my stuff for today goes on that. So what it does is it helps me manage my idea generator. Because my idea generator, I'll go off and start thinking about something and dabbling and starting and playing around in that. But I come back and I have my things that I want to do that I've determined, gone through my process of what is it I need to do? What is it I want to do? Back to your approach of something easy, something hard, something fun. I'm trying to do that a little bit. It's like, what's something that is enjoyable? What's something that is hard? I just was doing financial aid for my kid. Oh my God. Talk about hard. That was, uh, yeah. (laughs) FAFSA. FAFSA people. (laughs) Did that. Knocked it out over the weekend. Going for that completion. Naming that completion. That's the critical thing for me. Coming back and just focusing on these mini completions. And actually mini completions is another episode to look at. I think this is a great place to wrap, Cam, and to wrap on sort of the moral of your story, talking about your client here at the end and then yourself. And the moral is not look at what these people are doing if you are also a fast brain or a big brain and mirror that. The moral is don't fight against your brain. Your brain is your brain. Your brain has preferred modes of operation. So both in your client example and in your own examples, you found ways to honor how your brain likes to work and to appreciate its gifts because your big idea generator brings a lot of content to this show, among other things, while reigning in the parts that would otherwise keep you stuck because it's too much of that and not enough of getting to what matters. That is so... That's why you do what you do so well. Just wrapping it up, wrapping, <laughs> reeling in cam and wrapping it up, putting a bow on it, Shelly. Dang, you're good. <laughs> Dang. I have a client who every week without fail, I will summarize something that she said back to her and she'll just go, I don't know how you do that. How do you do that? How do you put it in such beautiful language like that? Cam, I don't know either. <laughs> I'll I'll just add this. So I've got a, I have a mentee who's a coach. She has ADHD and we talk about the meandering brain, right? The meandering brain, the unwieldy brain. And she's like, I got a new client. That client has an unwieldy brain. And so here are two unwieldy brains together. And yet she's recognizing that and that she's like finding ways to tighten it up, to model, to partner, to help her client see that and help her tighten up that unwieldy brain. I think that's another descriptor that's very helpful with the big and the fast brain representation. It's unwieldy. So looking at ways we can kind of tighten up. And as you said, don't deny the way you present in the world. As Shelly said, it's all these ideas that I've been able to take and put into the marketplace, into the public arena to share. This stuff has been here for years, people, and finding ways to unlock that, you can do that too. Well said, Cam. So before we wrap up for today, the number one way you can help the show is by leaving a review wherever you listen. Now, we've been thanking those of you who have answered the call, but nobody's answered the call in a while. So somebody this week, please answer the call, leave a review wherever you listen to the show. 
This helps other people find the show. The other way you can support us is by becoming a patron of the show. You can visit the website, translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. For $5 a month, you're not only supporting the show, you gain access to our Discord community where you can talk about previous episodes with Cam and I, and you can engage with the rest of the community as they're all working together to do their own understand, own, and translate work. So until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening. Thank you.